we're so thankful for all of you that are in the house of the Lord today. I'm so thankful for this church and thankful for your heart for missions and your heart for people. John chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, is it possible that we have gifts from God that we don't even know about? If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Living water. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I saw a lot of water when I was in Nepal, but there wasn't living water. Whatever was living in there was not what you would want living in you. I'm glad that the Lord gives us living water. Springs of eternal life. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up. Everybody say stir up. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the greatest gift exchange. The greatest gift exchange. Under the reading of the Word of God, everybody said, in Jesus' name. Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We are uh, recently recovering from Christmas, and one of the uh, fun things about Christmas is the famous gift exchange. There are many variations of this tradition, but it's always interesting. It's been a while, but some of you may remember, even in this church, many years ago, our ladies used to be involved in something called the Secret Pal. How many of you remember the Secret Pal ministry? <laughs> Not many of you left. <laughs> Amen. This is something where the ladies would draw names secretly, and you had somebody all through the year that would buy you gifts, and you didn't know who they were. And then you also had a name, and you were buying gifts for somebody else. You knew who they were, but they didn't know who you were. And at the end of the year, there would be a big revealing party around Christmas time, and everybody would reveal who they were secret pals with. And it was a great way of doing something nice for someone else. There's also another exchange at Christmas that always seems to bring about strong feelings. It's called the gift exchange game or the white elephant game. Have you ever heard of this game where everybody sits in a circle? And there's everybody's got a gift. I think the idea was that you would only have to bring one gift to a party. And then everybody, you know, would only bring one gift. And it's supposed to be like 5 or $10. And some people do less. Some people do more. And there's always a lot of pressure about getting a good gift, not a bad gift. And it goes around in a circle. And different things happen. And your gift can be stolen from you. Or you have to pass it on. Or you end up with a bad gift from the music stuff. It's got a lot of different uh, rules and a lot of different things from it. When my... When my sister was quite young and my family pastored in a little town up in the panhandle of Florida called Port St. Joe, they had a small church, about 40, 50 people. I was, uh, I think, maybe in kindergarten. And uh, my sister, just a few years older than me, uh, went to this Christmas exchange party thing with our small church. And she got a gift that she did not like, and she was trying to get rid of it. Apparently, the game didn't go that well. And when the game was all over, she ended up with this gift that she didn't like. So she took it and threw it across the circle of people and hit the lady in the head that had brought the gift. Yeah, to our preacher's kids, we usually ruin church activities if we can. So I'd love to hear this story because I usually hear stories about me doing things like this. So it's great to hear my sister was always an honor roll student and everything. And I was always the problem child. So I take great delight in hearing these stories and sharing them with the mass public. 
My dad was so upset with my sister about this that he had bought her a bicycle for Christmas, so he took the bicycle back. Yeah. He has since said that that was too harsh of a punishment. He shouldn't have done that. But I have learned that as people get older and they're trying to get closer to going to heaven, they get nicer. <laughs> when, I, when, I was, when I was trying to raise my boys, you know, and they were acting up in a restaurant, I'd take them to the bathroom, my dad would say, what are you doing when you take them to the bathroom? I'm like, we read poetry. What do you think we're doing? So my sister was like, no, Dad, you did the right thing. I shouldn't have done that. I should have been happy with my gift. It was a good thing you took the bicycle back. And my dad's like, no, it was too harsh for punishment. And she's like, no, it was good. But although she's been in therapy the rest of her life, too, over that. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm fortunate to have such a great sister, a great family. But I've also heard stories from my in-laws, brother and sister Golden, of how my wife, sister Amy, as a girl would also leave from one of these gift exchange games in tears as a little girl. They would have to coach her and her sister, her younger sister, Christy. Now, when we go to this party, it doesn't matter what gift you end up with. Whatever it is, pretend that you like it. If you hate it, if you hope to never see it again, just smile and say thank you. We get back in the car, we can throw it away, but just be good for a few minutes. And my wife said, I always ended up crying in those games. And so when we ventured out after Christmas Eve, this recent couple of weeks ago, I guess, and we finished our service here and all went over to my parents' house, I noticed that my mom had arranged the uh, living room so that we would all be involved in the gift exchange game. And I noticed the horror that was on my wife's face and my sister's face. And so I positioned myself to sit in between the two of them. And I said, together, we can get through the gift exchange game. So over the course of the next little while, we counseled each other and we got through the game. And after several negotiations and exchanges, we all left happy and healed. Thank you very much. Thank you for caring. But one of the great things that we were able to do in the recent days when we visited our children's home in Kathmandu, Nepal, was a presentation of gifts. This in a place where um, poverty, perhaps uh, other than Uganda and Haiti, I've never seen it to this degree. No infrastructure, no roads, everything is pretty much chaos. And um, this is a country where Children are not accustomed to getting gifts, although this home that they have, they, they try to share with them certain principles that you and I would relate to being Christmas uh, traditions or whatnot. I, I noticed, they may, they may put a picture up, but I noticed the, when we went into this home where these children are, that there was a little Christmas tree and there was some gifts around it. And um, so I said, oh, do you guys still have Christmas gifts? That's it, that you haven't opened. And the house mother explained that these were uh, not real gifts. These were things they had taken in the house and wrapped it up and sort of had a fake Christmas because they're just uh, simply were not any uh, gifts to, to be given. But we had prepared for this in advance. And so uh, I was paired with a 14-year-old boy by the name of David. And they sent me all the stuff that he liked ahead of time. So my family and I over Christmas, we went 
to Walmart or Target or wherever, and we, we bought all of these different items, and that's David there, and we, we had a bag full of gifts that, that, uh, that we brought to him, and he, um, he loved it, and he was very appreciative and very, very thankful, and as uh, these different uh, kids on a part of this home were opening up these gifts, there's, there's other pictures as well, but as they were opening up these gifts and, and they were unwrapping uh, these gifts, it, um, it was something that sort of hit me that I, I want to share with you today. I, I noticed that as these, these young people, these students were opening these gifts, that they were receiving tangible gifts, but we, as the ones that had brought the gifts, were really receiving the greater gift. I'm convinced that there's always an exchange. Anytime you do something kind for someone, there's always a return. And as they begin to open up these different gifts, you know, that we had brought them from the, the states, and, and we started to see their expressions on their face and, and their hugs and their, their appreciation and and to see all of their reaction to it. They, they were giving us gift, the gift of appreciation, the gift of their well-mannered behavior, the gift of knowing that, that we had made a difference in their lives. I realized that there is a gift exchange that happens not just at Christmas, but all through every day of the year. Things that we do for people and things that we receive back and people that do things for us and so forth and so on. We've seen this in missions for years. Some of you have been able to go into these third world countries and some of you have seen what it is to be able to uh, help build a church or help build a medical clinic or help build an orphanage in Guatemala and, and be in Honduras and some of you have been a part of that and and you know that any time that you're a part of that, you always receive back more than what you bring or what you give. You're there to do for them, but you always become more blessed than what you hope to do in blessing others. I believe that that is a biblical principle, that there's always a gift that you receive that is greater. It's not of equal value. I believe that's why the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because everyone has a return gift that's given to them. That's what motivates us. It may be a feeling, it may be a gesture, it, it may be a thank you, it may be the satisfaction of knowing that you made a difference, it may be a warm, fuzzy feeling of being a part of someone's life, it could be a supernatural process that, that no doubt you see whenever you bring the gospel into someone's life. But there are countless gift exchanges that take place on a daily basis. People would want to know why you volunteer at your church, why you volunteer at Hands for Healing or, or a soup kitchen, why you volunteer at your local school or in some community event. I read a statistic the other day that nearly one in four Americans volunteer in some service on a regular basis. Why do we do that? We're not being paid for it. We don't receive a check. I would submit to you this morning that is because it is a part of human nature that we enjoy the feeling of helping others. There is an exchange. We get something out of it. There is a return. People that never serve are always robbed of this exchange. 
Those that never know the joy of not just serving others, but getting the gift back from that. The gift of peace and purpose and goodwill and all of these things that happen as a result of you and I exchanging gifts on a daily basis. Because every kind gesture has a return. But here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It is not just a gift exchange between humans. There is a gift exchange that happens between God and humanity. The word gift is mentioned 43 times in the Word of God. And in Scripture, from every different way that you can look at the word gift as it relates to God's favor to man, there is always a common denominator that comes forth that you can't get away from. So much so that I believe of everything that God gives, and there are many gifts, and the Bible says that every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. But I believe that from the Word of God and studying these 43 specific places where it talks about a gift, that there is a singular focus that you and I can look at and find that there is one specific gift that God gives to humanity that everything else flows from. And that gift is the opportunity to be in the presence of God. The opportunity for you and I to be in the presence of God. The greatest gift that God has ever given humanity is the opportunity to be in His presence. You say, well, I just don't see where it's that big of a deal. Well, consider the fact that it's very possible for you to live without the presence of God. And if you could see what that looks like, I hope you never experience it. But if you could see what it looks like to live without the presence of God, you would find yourself thanking God every day for the gift of His presence. And I don't know about you, but I want to rise this morning to declare this, that I pray that we never lose the presence of God in our midst. I pray that every day that you live, when you get out of bed and put your feet on the ground, that you can feel the sweet breath of God's presence on your life. David recognized this gift, perhaps more so than anybody else in the Word of God. He said in Psalm 61:11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David is saying, that it is His presence, the presence of God Almighty, that gives us fullness of joy. You may have experiences in this life that bring you temporary happiness, but ladies and gentlemen, there's only one thing that brings the fullness of joy. 
that that goes down inside of your heart and in your soul and in your innermost being that that gives you peace in the midst of a storm that that gives you comfort in the midst of chaos and crisis that is the fullness of joy that is the presence of God Almighty I'm so thankful when we come to the house of the Lord, you can come and be tired and be weary and be hurting in your body. But when you come into the house of the Lord and you begin to hear them sing the songs of Zion and the word of God goes forth and somebody beside you says, hallelujah, somebody raises their hand and says, glory be to God. And once again, you feel the brush of angels weep and you know that a holy God has given you one more time the gift of his presence. I just want to stop for a moment and say, Lord, we recognize it. Can I just stop for a moment and declare to heaven that we recognize that it's a gift. We refuse to live this life and somehow be unaware of the greatest gift that humanity has ever known. It's not prosperity. It's not education. It's not wealth. It is that you and I can come together and where two or three are gathered together in His presence. Thank you for it today, God. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before the throne room of grace. Mm. David continues in Psalms 95 and verse 2. He says, let us come. Everybody say come. Come. Means you're going somewhere. Let us come before his presence. Thank God that you came to church this morning. You probably had all kind of things fight you today to keep you out of the house of God. But you said, oh, I've got to get to the house of the Lord. I've got to come before his presence. In fact, I'm not going to just come. David said, I'm going to come with thanksgiving, and I'm going to make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Oh, I'm not coming to the house of God to just check off a box. I'm coming to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the joy of the Lord. That is my strength. I've come to make a noise. I've come to declare his glory. I've come to shout unto him with the voice of triumph. Psalms 100 and verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Can I just stop and say that for a moment? Serve the Lord with gladness. It's a privilege to come into His presence. Serve Him with gladness. I know it's so easy to focus on things that aren't going right and miss the 99 things that are going right. And to focus on the one or two little things. Serve the Lord with gladness. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Oh, my. He He didn't want to lose the presence of God. Even whenever he made some drastic mistakes, 
and he was so quick to repent. Why was David so quick to repent in Psalms 51 after he committed adultery and organized a murder of one of his main generals? Why did David be so quick to get on his knees when confronted by the prophet Nathan and say, oh God, renew in me a right spirit. Created me a clean heart. I'm going to tell you why David was so quick to do that. Because in Psalms 51, 11, he said, cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David was saying, I know I'm a man, I know I have failed, but I recognize that there is a great gift that you have given me, and that is I have been in your presence. When I was a shepherd on the backside of a hill, I found what it was like to have God visit me there. Now that I'm in this throne room and I got options and I got power, take not thy presence from me. Don't take away your Holy Spirit. I recognize it's a gift, the greatest gift that mankind could ever know. Everything that God did with the plan of salvation, starting with the incarnation of God in Bethlehem, was to bring man into his presence. The death of Calvary was about giving humanity access to the throne room of God. It required the blood to be shed so that mankind could come into the presence of a holy God. That's why the New Testament records that when Jesus gave up the ghost, uh, as the Bible describes as uh, his spirit departing from him, uh, that in the temple uh, where they were still ministering at that very moment, uh, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies uh, from the rest of the temple was ripped in two or ripped in twain uh, in two pieces. Uh, and it was broke open and it wasn't just semantics and it wasn't some accident it was symbolic of the fact that by the blood of Jesus every single man woman boy or girl could come into the presence of God I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen but if God has given us access into the holy of holies and he has why would you want to live your Christian life living in the outer court when you and I have access into the holy of holies the gift of his presence is there anybody in this building that would join me today and saying God surround me with your presence in the year 2018 even if it makes me uncomfortable I want your presence I'm not wanting some cushy environment that gives me a false sense of security. I want the presence of a holy God. Sometimes it may rebuke me. Sometimes it may reprove me. But I want your presence, God. I want it in my marriage. I want it in my family. I want it in my home. I want it in my car. I want it on my job. I want your presence, God. So the gift was made available to all of mankind. And when we celebrate his presence, God marks it and makes note of it. I told the, the early service that when I was just a small boy, I remember hearing a story about a man who was a famous preacher at the time, one of my dad's favorite preachers. 
His name was George L. Glass Jr. from DeRitter, Louisiana. Just a country boy. Didn't have any famous parents, didn't come from a, a lifestyle of affluence or wealth. But he had a hunger for the things of God. And when he was about 13 years old, I remember hearing him tell this story. We, I was just a boy. My mom and dad and family said, we're going to go down to Miami and hear Brother Glass preach. I said, okay, who's Brother Glass? They told me who he was, and they said, I remember this stuck out in my head. They said, he preaches for two hours. <laughs> we'll tell you what, when you're young, and they say a sermon's going to be two hours, it might as well be two weeks. <laughs> Boy, you'd never know it. You'd sit on the edge of your seat the whole time. And we got down there in that church, and Brother Glass started preaching, and what a master orator and man of God. He, he started telling the story of when he was 13 years old, and he went to a little country church, and they were having a special speaker, and he was there early, as was his custom, and there were some visitors that had come, and the person who had the key wasn't there and wasn't available to open the door. He didn't have a key. And people talked about maybe they would come back the next night. He said, no, 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 don't leave. He said, I will run to the house of the assistant pastor who has a key, and I will bring the key back if you'll stay right here. It's not far. He said, I took off running. I didn't realize he said it was three miles each direction. <laughs> 13 years old, he ran all the way there, all the way down those little dusty roads. Got that key, came all the way back. Those people were still there. He opened the door and let them in. Shortly after that, some other people came, and they ended up having a great revival. Many, many years later, after Brother Glass had gone through some, only, some of his own personal trials and triumphs, and he was thinking about how God had been so good to him and blessed him and used him to preach the gospel all over. And he said, one day I was in prayer and I said, Lord, you've been so good to me. I came from nowhere and you have blessed me and used me. And I just want to say thank you, Lord, because I don't deserve it. But why, God? Why did you use me? And the Lord said, when you were a 13-year-old boy and you were concerned about my house, I marked you because you valued people being in my presence. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, you've never wasted one moment. You've got your family together and said, we're going to the house of the Lord. Oh, you've never wasted one time that you said, we're going to get in his presence. We may not have the money for gas. We may not have everything put together. There may be some trials and troubles that are facing you as you leave this morning in just a few minutes. But because you recognize a gift from God today and you said we're going to go to the house of God I've come to tell you that God has marked this moment you may not know what you're facing in the future but you can pull from the strength that you will feel in his presence God can guide you and direct you through things that you may not even be aware of that are on your horizon the question for all of us is what do we give to God in this gift exchange? What do you give to somebody who has everything? I have a friend who does not need any money or gifts. And if he wants something, he just goes and buys it. It's really hard for me to buy him a Christmas gift because he has everything he wants, monetarily speaking. What do you get for somebody like that? 
What do you buy them? A gift card? I try to just get him something that I think he likes. Sometimes I feel like I come up short. Sometimes I feel crazy buying him something so insignificant whenever he could buy something so much more valuable. But he made a statement to me one time, and it's all he ever had to say. He said, my son has never even given me a card, much less a gift. He said, the fact that you always remember me is the greatest gift that you could give. So as long as I'm able, I'm going to keep on buying him a gift. Because he's told me what it means. Not necessarily the gift, but the thought behind the gift. It's hard to buy for a person that we think has everything. So what do we get for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What is it that we give him in exchange for this great gift of his presence that he gives us? That's the question this morning. He's given us the opportunity to be in his presence. What do we give him? Let me tell you what you give him. This is the greatest gift that you can give God. Of everything that you and I do to try to honor God with our life. The single greatest gift that you can give God is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Your commitment. You may not burn up the streets. You may not win a million people. But if you're just faithful to the house of God, every time you come into his house, you're giving God a gift in exchange for his presence. You say, oh, I wish I could teach Bible studies. I wish I could sing. But you're here. You're in the house of God. You've honored his presence with your presence. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. I was talking to one of our elders this morning. He said, man, I, I was thanking him. I said, man, you guys, Brother Sergley, you guys that have been here for 50 years, I... I just want you to know all of us are blessed because of your faithfulness. He said, well, Brother David, I just don't feel like I've done enough. I feel like I need to do more. I said, you've done more than you realize because you've been faithful. You've just been here. They tell you this all the time with your kids. You don't have to buy expensive gifts. Just give them the gift of your time. How much more so, God, every time you have no idea. Oh, I wish I could communicate it better. But the fact that you're in his presence today, you've given heaven a gift. You thought it was just getting in your car and driving here, but it was more than that. You gave heaven, you gave God a gift. Just putting one foot in front of the other day in and day out. Sometimes it seems like I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm not getting anywhere. Troubles, you can't. Gauge spiritual growth by the troubles that you're facing in your life. Because none of us are exempt from circumstances. But I'm going to tell you how you gauge it. Are you in the house of God every time the doors are open? Oh, what would happen at First Pentecostal Church in 2018 as we're talking about being all in if every time those church doors are open and you're able and you're in town, I'm going to be in the house of God. It's my first priority. God's been so good to me. I can never repay Him.
But I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to give him the gift of making a commitment in 2018 and saying, God, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of being in church every, every single Sunday. There's nothing that moves God more than making a commitment to be in his presence. And if you will give him the gift of faithfulness, he will give you gifts that will blow your mind. In the months and even years that led up to our involvement in World War II, Britain was fighting for their life as Hitler was running over Europe. We did not want to get into another world conflict. We were recovering from the Depression. It was a lot of negative collateral feelings from the First World War, and we saw this as a European conflict. We didn't want to get involved. Even as late as August of 1941, public opinion polls show that 65 to 70 percent of the nation still did not want to get involved in the war. But going back to even 39, we realized that we were going to have to do something. We were going to have to help Britain with supplies. Because Hitler was marching all over Europe, taking one country after another, and finally France. And if some incredible things had not happened with the evacuation of Dunkirk, very possible that Britain would have lost their military right there. Over 200,000 men were evacuated under a mystical cloak of clouds that covered the sky. Oh, I wish I could go into all of that. But Winston Churchill had asked for a thousand planes a month to keep Germany from taking over England in late 1940. So even though America did not want to get into the war, they knew they had to help save Britain. So Franklin D. Roosevelt, the president at the time, he brought together all these industrial leaders and said, what can we do? How can we produce and help? And these guys got involved and they got Packard. Some of you may remember the old Packard. They were a luxury car maker in 1940. Packard started making engines for the Spitfire and the Hurricane fighters that were very effective fighters in the Royal Air Force. They would then come to make 55,000 of these engines that were basically a derivative of the old Rolls-Royce engine during the war. Liberty ships were being built for Britain in California. Winchester was making 380 rifles a day. DuPont was working on gunpowder. Chrysler was making an army designed M3 tank. American industry and factories were working around the clock to provide armaments for Britain at the same time knowing that there was only a 50% chance that Britain would survive. But in August of 1941, just four months before Pearl Harbor, a team of British scientists and engineers arrived in New York on the liner Duchess of Richmond. And like the wise men going to Bethlehem, these scientists brought gifts that were of incalculable value. Not frankincense or myrrh this time, but gifts that were the product of British technology and science and even espionage. The gifts included proximity fuses, a working model for a power-driven airplane gun turret, and the cavity magnetron which was the heart of a device that the Brits called RDF and the Americans called radar. 
The team also brought news of a new aeronautical principle called jet propulsion. All represented new breakthroughs in the science of warfare that might shift the strategic balance. And the supply line to Britain was becoming a two-way thoroughfare. British science and America industry know-how would become an unbeatable formula where and nowhere was it more decisive than in the last gift that the men of the Duchess of Richmond were able to offer. Because it wasn't just America supplying Britain. Britain was giving America what they had, and there was a gift exchange that was going on for the sake of survival in the midst of a maniacal madman called Adolf Hitler. There was that one gift that they brought as a part of this collection of other gifts, these scientists on the Dutchman of Richmond that came in August of 1941. It was a discovery that they brought to the Americans that had been discovered by, of all people, a German scientist named Otto Frisch. Scientists on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean had been trying to figure out how to set off a nuclear chain reaction. And, and Frisch theorized that if, if, if we used a peculiar substance called uranium-235, only a few pounds of it would be needed to do the job. But getting those few pounds would be the difficult part. It would require a series of industrial processes that no one had conceived of, let alone built. Yet two years... After the Duchess of Richmond returned to Britain, a group of American scientists and engineers would gather in the deep Appalachian wilderness of Oak Ridge, Tennessee to do just that under the code name Manhattan Project. Scientists and engineers would turn a formula on a chalkboard into the most decisive weapon of all time, the atomic bomb, a game changer to say the least. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, in just being faithful, gifts come from heaven of a value that you cannot even estimate. Gifts that are game changers. Gifts that are nuclear, if I can say it that way, that only God can do. Because though you may not be in a conflict yet in your own personal life, Though you may not be struggling for a war, but you're doing what you can to help other people who've got conflict on their doorstep. You said, I'll do what I can to help. We'll put it together. We'll ship it to Britain. We'll make it work. We'll help arm Britain, even though this is not a war that we want. But came back from that with things that shifted the balance of power from that time until now. And ladies and gentlemen, if you will just give the gift of faithfulness, when you do encounter something that you have no solution for, heaven steps into it. And gives you a gift that was locked up in the invisible world of theory and mathematics. You have no idea, ladies and gentlemen, there are treasures that are in the spirit world that heaven would love to unleash upon you. 
say, oh, it's beyond me. I don't know how I'm going to save my family. I don't know how I'm going to save my marriage. I don't know how I'm going to save my job. It may be beyond you, but it's not beyond God. You just be faithful in the house of God. I don't know who's going to serve God, who's not. But I know as for me and my house, we're going to be in the house of God. We're going to be in the presence of the Holy God. I'm going to keep on loving you. I'm going to keep on worshiping you, God. I've come too far. To turn back now. Heaven. Heaven will give you a gift. That you will never be able to estimate the value of. It will do something for you that you can't put a price tag on. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing that you ever do for God. But that he doesn't give a gift exchange of greater value. One thing is for sure, the gifts from heaven will always be a part of the gift of faithfulness and contentment. And the gifts that he brings you will always trump the gifts that you bring him. They're game changers. They're in the miraculous. They're a physical healing when the doctor said we cannot do anything else for you. And yet God steps into the picture. People that are in this building this morning. And we're told 35 years ago they would die before the night is over. And they're still here on this earth and they're still in God's house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. People that others told you there's no chance you're not going to make it, but you made it. And you didn't just make it, you're thriving. You're not just surviving Every time you want to go to that next level with God, you make a commitment, commit to live a holy life, commit to a discipline of consecration, commit to paying tithes and offerings, committing to being faithful to the house of God. God gave great gifts to David and he would have given him even more. He told him that if it wasn't enough. Psalm 78, 69 says that he built his sanctuary like high palaces like the earth which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. When his family didn't even think it was important to bring him to the house when Samuel showed up. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. Why did God give David such great gifts that were beyond explanation? Coming from the tribe of Benjamin, coming from the house of Jesse. Why did God give him such great gifts? Because David had made a commitment to the things of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He made a covenant with his eyes and said, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Every time you make a commitment, it is a gift that goes to heaven. So I want to stress this to you today, in the year 2018, be committed to the house of God. Be committed to the things of God. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be in his presence every time it's possible. If I'm not out of town or I'm not physically unable, I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to be in the presence of God. Because in his presence, 
There is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are treasures forevermore. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'm reminded of Brother Ronnie Gidrose preaching that sermon here a few months ago about that fellow he tried to help in and out of jail 14, 15 times. Do good, do bad, do good, do bad, do good, do bad. He couldn't hardly get a consistency going. Finally, the guy called him up for jail one more time, so will you come and bail me out? Brother Gidro said, I'm not going to do it. I'm all done bailing you out. We've worked at this now for 15 years. He said, oh, if you'll just give me one more time. Brother Gidro said, I'll give you one more time. But I want you to come to church, and I've got a sermon that I want to preach. Young man agreed to it. He picked up the boy from jail. He took him down to the house of God, opened up the doors, and set him down on the front row. He said, where's the church at? He said, this sermon's just for you. He said, okay. You got your Bible? He had his Bible open, had it on his lap. For the next 45 minutes, he said one word, church! <coughs> Whispered in his ear, church. Church on Monday, church on Tuesday, church on Wednesday, church, 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 for 45 minutes, church. Every possible way he could think of it, church. Said I did everything I could. Finally, I just started running around the building going, church, 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 church. The young man just sat there. Finally, after about 30, 40 minutes, he said, if you'll just make a commitment to be in church, you won't ever have to go back to jail again. He said, I'm going to ask you to give me one year. Will you give me one year of being in church? Every time there's a service, the young man said, I'll do it, Pastor. You've been working with me for 15 years. For one year, that young man did not miss church. And because of that, he never went back to jail. His life was turned around. It's not rocket science. It's just making a commitment. I wonder this morning how many of you would make a commitment in the year 2018. Pastor, you can count on us. We'll be in church. Would you step out from where you're standing? Would you march down and stand at the front of this building? If you'll make that commitment right now this morning. Lord, you've been too good to me. You've blessed me in so many ways. I can't even number them all. But I can do this one thing today for heaven. I can make a commitment. I'll be in church. I'm making a commitment this morning. There's not going to be anything more important in my family and my home than to be in the house of God in 2018. Would you do that? Could you make that commitment for one year? Come on, we're talking about all Jesus, all nations, all in. Say, why do we have to go down front? David said, come, let us come into his presence. Let us come into his presence. I'm going to give you a couple more minutes because I think this is important. This will be the only time you hear this sermon this year. I want you to come. 
You're going to make a commitment right now. Lord, you have blessed me with your presence. I have felt it numerous times. The very least I can do is to make a commitment to you right now that I'll be in the house of God. Thank you so much for coming. Those of you that have come, would you lift your hands and your voices right now? Would you make that commitment? Lord, I commit to you. I know I've not always been faithful, God. But I commit to you this morning, Lord. I'll be in your house, God. I'll be in your house, Lord. Come rain and shine, come cold or heat, sick or well, good or bad. I make a commitment to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. coming to the altar this morning I don't want you to feel pressure to acknowledge this but if you can truly say as the preaching went forth the word of God the singing and even as you made a commitment to come to this altar you could feel the presence of God just surround you I wonder if you would raise your hand right now if you said you could feel that presence of God my look at that unbelievable evidence I wonder now if you'd lift up your other hand now would you just thank him for that presence thank you for your presence Lord thank you Lord that we're not living isolated lives down here we acknowledge Lord you are our strength and our song you delivered us from the sheepfold. You are the one, God, who has exalted. You are the one that has blessed us, Lord. We've just come to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for every gift. Thank you for every blessing, Lord. Can you feel that sweet presence of God right now? See, you can't make a commitment to be faithful, but that God doesn't immediately respond with His presence. 
Let me say one more thing. I'm going to let you pray. I think it's important. I think it's important to give this instruction. Because I feel like as a church, we're at a very important crossroads in our future. I want you to understand this about the presence of God. It manifests itself in different ways. When God gives you the gift of his presence, sometimes it manifests itself in salvation, which is the receiving of his spirit in our life. That's the ultimate act of his presence. His holy presence taking up residence in our lives. And as you begin to glorify God and thank him, you will feel that presence come over you. And it can demonstrate itself in ways of salvation and being lifted up. We talk about that sitting in heavenly places. What is that? It's that the Lord just literally raptures your soul and you feel the essence of God inside of you. Sometimes God demonstrates his presence with a physical healing. You may be in pain this morning, but you feel the presence of God. Whatever it is that you want His presence to activate in your life that you are in need of, His presence can do it. Sometimes His presence, and that's why you hear people just exalt the Lord, sometimes His presence turns sadness into joy. Depression into praise. Sometimes when God's presence comes all over you, you may be tired in your body, but you feel a quickening in your spirit. And God says, you're not alone. I'm with you. Whatever it is that you need in your life right now, that you want his presence to materialize so that it meets that need. I wonder now if you'd lift your hands up and would you lift your voice like a trumpet? unto God and would you declare with a statement of faith I receive your presence into my life fill me with your spirit I receive your presence in my life heal my broken body I receive your presence in my life turn my morning into dancing Turn my sadness into joy. Do what only you can do, oh God. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Receive it, Lord. I receive it, Lord. When 
the Holy Ghost here, don't you? You need the Spirit of God. You've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I want you to stay down here at the altar or if you're in the audience and you want to come forward, we have altar workers right now that will pray with you. If you want to be baptized in Jesus' name, we can baptize you right now in Jesus' name. We have water, heated water, robes, everything you need. You need a healing in your body, you need prayer in your body, I want you to stay down the front. Or if you feel that God has taken you to a new level this morning, I don't want you to feel rushed. You can stay around this altar as long as you want. Everybody else, I want you to know something. This is going to be the greatest year we've ever had in the history of our church. Oh, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. I said, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. possible you can come back tonight we're going to be talking about the temple of life and some great things are going to happen god bless you you're dismissed this morning in the name of jesus